All right, so we're going to continue our series on spiritual gifts, so the nine spiritual gifts that Paul talks about in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And spiritual gifts are just that. They're gifts that the Lord wants us to use to edify the body. Uh, they are not just there for one-time use. They are there uh, for us to use throughout our lives to build and uplift and edify the body. So the last few weeks I've shared about a word of wisdom and what that looks like. And last week I shared about a word of knowledge and what that looks like and, and how uh, those two typically will go hand in hand. Um, I'm not going to dive into that. If you, if, you wanna, uh, if you missed one and you want to catch up, we do have all of our um, sermons online. I don't want to spend a ton of time in review today because I want to get to what I'm excited to share about. So this week I'm going to share about the gift of faith and what that means. Um, but before we get into it, I, I really want to emphasize this one is, um, we talk about faith a lot in the church, right? Um, and, and I think I want to differentiate today what the gift of faith is versus just what our standard saving faith is. Um, I spend a lot of time studying this this week and, and really asking the Lord, you know, what the difference is and, and reading a lot from, from different pastors and teachers of, of old, uh, and currently, to really try and understand how the gift of faith differs from just standard saving faith. So I'm going to kind of define the two, and then we'll, we'll jump into some examples of, of uh, examples in the Word of the gift of faith in action. Um, and I'm going to share a little excerpts from a few different pastors and teachers that I feel like really help hone in on this as well. Uh, so before we jump into it, though, the gift of faith, I'm going to read this, is a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit, whereby a believer is empowered with special faith or wonder-working faith, and it is beyond saving faith. So we often think of, of faith as, uh, you know, in order we are saved by grace through faith. Um, Ephesians 2.8 says that. I'm going to read that out of the Amplified. It says, For it is by grace... And this is the Amplified, God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, not through your own effort, but it is the undeserved gracious gift of God. The NIV says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. So what does this mean? What is saving faith? It means that we can only be saved by believing first in Christ, having faith that He is the Son of God, that He died for our sins, and that He rose again three days later. Through this, facing, through this faith in Christ, we are saved. And it says in Ephesians 2.8, we're not saved by anything we have done. We all know that. It's nothing we can do. It is a gift from God. That is saving faith. It is a free gift for everyone, for all. Everyone can accept that free gift of saving faith. It's free. It's a free gift. It's available to anyone. So then we have to ask ourselves, well, how does someone understand that faith? Well, the Word lays it out. What can we understand about how one gets the understanding of what it means to have saving faith? Well, Romans 10.17 lays it out pretty clearly, right? Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So if we are saved by grace through faith, 
And faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. We can understand that saving faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So oftentimes when you think of somebody who comes to know the Lord, they do that typically through hearing somebody sharing a message about the Gospel or the Word. Very rarely do you just have somebody that happens upon it. But typically, even still, they have to read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Right? They had to hear or read the Word of God to have the faith to come to know Christ. That's saving faith. I believe all of us in this room have entered into that relationship with Christ through saving faith. So Ephesians 2.8, Romans 10.17 lays it out. That's what saving faith is. It is our entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So how is that different than a gift of faith that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? You, you could think, well, faith is faith, right? These are different. These are different. And I want to make sure that I, I outline this uh, in a way that differentiates the two. A gift of faith, as indicated in the nine gifts, is, is different because... It is a, again, we defined it earlier, it is a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit, right? It's for a very specific purpose or situation, right? So a gift of faith is for a very specific time, situation, and you can find all, a, a plethora of those in the Word. I'm going to share a few examples of, of what that is. That's what's different. Saving faith is a free gift to anyone at any time. Anybody can come at any time to Christ. You can be on your deathbed ready to breathe your last breath, and that saving faith is there for you. Whereas a gift of faith is for a very specific manifestation of that, uh, for a specific situation. This is also not the same faith that, that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5 when he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness, right? That's different. I heard one person describe it this way. If you've got a, a tree bearing fruit, that fruit takes time. It takes perseverance. It takes building of that. A tree needs to grow in order for it to produce fruit. Whereas a gift of faith, is, it's for a very specific time, a very specific purpose. It doesn't take time. It's all in God's time. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is us building character and growing and thus creating fruit, whereas a gift of faith is for a very specific time and purpose. The difference is a gift of faith is used as a supernatural divine purpose in situations in which the Holy Spirit manifests Himself in ways that exceeds our saving faith and is often used in miraculous ways. Kenneth Hagin talked about the gift of faith is often hand-in-hand with the gift of working of miracles. Because it, oftentimes, if you have this gift of faith in action, the working of miracles coincides, right? The gift of faith goes hand in hand. The difference, though, is the gift of faith is a passive gift. Passive meaning that you are waiting to receive. Whereas the gift of miracles, and I'll talk about the gift of working of miracles in the next few weeks, it is an active gift. You are actively working in the gift of miracles. So it's the difference there. The gift of faith is a passive gift. The working of miracles is an active gift. And that doesn't mean, and I think this is important, that sometimes you might be flowing in the gift of faith. The Lord is doing that. It doesn't always happen right away. 
you might be waiting, and it, it could be this buildup to when that miracle actually happens. Not saying that's always going to happen, but it's, it's possible. So it's important for us to understand that the gift of faith that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is for a very specific time, place, and a purpose. So think of um, an example in your life where maybe your faith had, you, were, you reached max capacity. Your faith had stretched its limits. The gift of faith comes in and takes you over the top. It is truly like a supernatural manifestation of God's faith, acting and living and breathing in your life. So I want to take a minute and review a few examples um, of, of examples in the Word where the gift of faith was in action. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. That's where we're going to start. We're going Old Testament first because uh, I, I love this story and I, I've, been, I've been actually reading in the book of Daniel and I think Daniel lived a, a pretty cool life. Uh, if you want to take some time to study it out, not just, uh, not just the stories you probably learned in Sunday school. Um, we're going to start, uh, we're going to look at Dan Daniel chapter 6. So Daniel, as, as many of you know, has, has really grown, uh, grown into uh, status within, um, within King Darius' uh, governors and, and those that he had put in charge. Uh, and those that were peers of Daniel, I guess you could say, didn't like him because he was favored by King Darius and wanted to find a way to um, eradicate Daniel, let's say. Uh, and in the, in the process of that, they tried to find fault with Daniel. They couldn't find fault in Daniel. He was a faithful man. He was somebody that pursued God with all his heart. So they had to find a different way to get Daniel out of the position of power. So they went to King Darius and persuaded him to create this rule, this law, that no one for 30 days could pray or worship another god or, or, or seek after another king. Because they knew that because Daniel was a faithful man after God, that he would break that rule. Daniel finds out about it. Exactly. Daniel finds out about it. He, he continues to pray three times a day. These other governors find out about it. They bring, bring it to King Darius. King Darius is distraught. Daniel's my guy. He's my man. He's my dude. I trust him. But I created this rule. I have to follow the rules. So Daniel, we have to throw you in the lion's den. That was the consequence if you broke this rule. So as many of you know, or as you, as you, you know, heard the story in Sunday school, Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. Most would expect that you get thrown into the lion's den, you are chomped to bits pretty quickly, right? That's what lions do. They devour. King Darius, that night, he goes home, he fasts. He doesn't sleep, and at the break of dawn, goes and rushes to the lion's den, only to find Daniel unharmed, unscathed, not even touched. Right? I heard some teachers say that he was probably taking a nap. He slept in the den with the lions. Right? That is acting in the gift of faith. It is a supernatural manifestation of something that exceeds our own imagination. If you read in chapter 6, verse 23, Daniel chapter 6, 23, that's where we're going to look. It says, The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the, from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his 
God. Supernatural. Supernatural manifestation of faith. Because many of us, I would say all of us, are put in that same situation and it needs to be a supernatural manifestation of the gift of faith in our lives for us not to be worried, concerned, for us to be able to take a nap next to lions. I mean, think about that today. You walk, let's say you go to the Minnesota Zoo. You jump over the lion barricade or whatever, insert any, create, you know, the wolf barricade, whatever animal is in there. In order for you to lay down next to them, that would have to take some serious, you're either um, maybe a few screws loose, or it would have to take a really supernatural gift of faith to do that. This is just one example. You can think of Moses when he's leading the Israelites out of Egypt and he gets to the Red Sea. Supernatural manifestation of the gift of faith. All right, here we go. Red Sea, you need to part. What happens? The Red Sea opens up. They're able to walk through. That's supernatural. That's a miracle. You couldn't think that up, right? Couldn't think that up. We also find out that after Daniel is pulled up from the lion's den, um, King Darius uh, made some decision. If we keep reading in verse 24, it says, Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. So that... Two, two examples, two, two contrasts there. The gift of faith actively working. Daniel isn't touched, not a bone, nothing. He's taken a nap next to the lions. Instantly, the other, they're devoured. Devoured means to say the lions were hungry, right? They were hungry. That is the supernatural manifestation of the gift of faith at work. There's no other explanation for it. No other explanation. Smith Wigglesworth describes it like this. If you take a step of ordinary faith, our faith that all of us have, oftentimes it's general faith, when you come to the end of that faith, the end of that, very often this supernatural gift of special faith will take over. That's when the miracles start happening. Now I want to say this. That doesn't mean that miracles can't happen without this. They do happen. People are healed. Demons are cast out. We all have faith. It's not what I'm saying. We all have faith. This is just an example of a manifestation of a supernatural, powerful gift of faith coming straight from the Father. So that does, again, I, I want to make sure that's clear. That doesn't mean that because this isn't, maybe this gift of faith isn't actively working, we can still lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Right? Exactly. Exactly doesn't mean that that doesn't happen, but that does mean that there are times and situations in our life and in history where the supernatural gift of faith is at work, right? I want to share a story uh, that I read about from, from Smith Wigglesworth that I, I thought was really, really interesting. So this is a, a good example. So it, it reads, one day when coming home from an open air meeting, Wigglesworth learned that his wife Polly was at uh, one of their friends' house, Mr. Mitchell's house. The day before, when Wigglesworth went and had visited Mitchell, the sick man had been close to death. As Wigglesworth hurried to Mitchell's house, he heard screaming coming from the house. 
On the way into Mr. Mitchell's room, he passed Mrs. Mitchell, who was crying, he's gone, he's gone. Wigglesworth related his experience. I just passed Mrs. Mitchell and went into the room. And immediately I saw that Mitchell had gone. I could not understand it, but I began to pray. My wife was always afraid that I would go too far, and she laid hold of me and said, Don't, don't you see that he is dead? But I continued praying. I got as far as I could with my own faith, and then God laid hold of me. Oh, it was such a laying hold that I could believe for anything. The faith of the Lord Jesus laid hold of me, and a solid peace came into my heart. I shouted, He lives, He lives, He lives, and He is living today. That is a perfect example of the gift of faith at work. Again, it's not that Smith Wigglesworth, if you read about his ministry, many, many, many people were raised from the dead. That doesn't mean that in every one of those situations the gift of faith was at work. But it does mean that in this situation, the manifestation, the Holy Spirit manifestation of the gift of faith came in. We all have faith. All of us have faith. If we didn't have faith, we wouldn't have a relationship with Christ. This is a, and I want to make this clear. We, this, this gift of faith that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 is truly that. It's a supernatural manifestation of faith, right? We all have it. It takes it one step further. It allows us to move in faith in a way that is beyond our own limitations. It exceeds our own limitations. Another example in the New Testament, we can look at Mark chapter, Mark chapter 4. Jesus is with his disciples. He's riding in a boat. A storm comes. And I want you to think, this isn't like a cruise ship that they're riding on. It's a fishing vessel. It's a small boat. And if you're in a big body of water and you're in a small boat and the storm's coming in, it's scary. I remember we were on a cruise when I, I think Shereen and I had just gotten married. And a storm had come in, and the waves were, and we're on a big cruise ship. The waves were, and you're walking, I'm going to get up and walk. You're walking down the aisle, you know, like the halls of the cruise ship, and you're walking like this because it's rocking so much, and that's in a big boat. I can only imagine what it's like to be in a small fishing vessel in the middle of a severe storm. Those white caps, those big waves, and you're taking on water. You know what Jesus was doing? He was taking a nap. He was sleeping. I made it pretty, I made it pretty far with the chair. Uh, he was sleeping. He was sleeping. And now you could say, oh, he's Jesus, though. He doesn't worry about anything. He doesn't have a care in the world. We well, have to remember, when Jesus came to earth, he was fully man and fully God. Right? Fully man and fully God. Now, he never sinned. Never sinned. However, you, you could understand... All this water's coming in. He'd be up on, on, on deck bailing water out of the boat or, or doing something. You, you know, naturally, as a human being, that's what we would do. We would do everything to stay alive and not be capsized, right? Jesus is taking a nap. He's sleeping. Taking a nap. So when we, if you look at it, Mark 4, 35 through 40. We'll start there. I'll just read that real quick. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 40. It says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of this lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. 
High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion, taking a nap. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Right? He's their leader. Don't you care that we're going to die? And I could just see it. I can just see him, you know, like, you know what it's like when you wake up from a nap. You're like, what's going on? Oh, wake up, Jesus. And I could just imagine him like walking up to the deck of the boat. Peace. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. And the disciples, I'm sure they were like, grab a bucket, dude. (laughs) Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Can you imagine the look on their face? Like, you couldn't have done that 30 minutes ago? Come on! Really? And he says, why are you you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, Jesus wasn't afraid. He trusted his Father. And this could also be viewed as another example of a supernatural gift of faith. Uh, Remember, oftentimes a gift of faith, a miracle follows. They go hand in hand. Stilling the waters, that's a very, very clear miracle. You're in the middle of a storm, all of a sudden the clouds break up, there's no more wind, the, the, the water's calm. That's an incredible example of the gift of faith at work. And you know, often... Oftentimes in these situations, you can, again, you can look at others. Joshua, he's in a battle. What does he do? He says, Lord, make this day last longer. The sun stops. That is not humanly possible. The earth spins round and round and round. And all of a sudden the sun stands still. What an incredible example of the gift of faith at work. It's a supernatural manifestation of a God kind of faith. It, it exceeds our own imagination. It leads to miracles. Kenneth Hagin says it like this, The working of miracles employs faith that actively works a miracle. But the gift of faith employs faith that passively expects a miracle as a sustained or continuous action. It expects, exactly. The gift of faith expects. It expects. There's no doubt there. It expects for something to happen. That means when it is necessary, there is a duration to the gift of special faith. It is ongoing in its action. It expects. There is no doubt there. No doubt. It is is a supernatural manifestation of the gift of faith. And the gift of faith reaches past our own understanding. We can't understand it. And if you try to understand it, if you try to logically think about it, You won't be able to. Because miracles aren't logical. They're not. A miracle, if you think about how it happens, it's not logical. Somebody's arm growing back out? That's not logical. You can't do that in the natural. It needs to be supernatural for that to happen. You need to have God come down, touch that person, and have a miracle happen. And I I truly believe this, that as a body of believers, if we started to flow and move in the gifts of the Spirit, we would see more and more miracles like that happening today. But unfortunately, 
We have suppressed those. The Holy Spirit is there waiting. He is there waiting for us. Hey, I've given you these as gifts. You're going to use them? It'd be like on Christmas if you bought your kids all of these gifts and they opened them and just left them sitting on the ground. Never played with them. Never touched them again. They, they were just there. You'd be like, aren't you going to use them? Oh, no. I, I, I don't, that makes me uncomfortable to play. No, I don't want to do that. We would never do that. Somebody gifted you a car, brand new car, zero miles, your favorite vehicle. You wouldn't let that sit in your driveway. You'd be out using it. You'd be driving it. You'd be taking it to places, showing it off. Look at my new ride. Look at the cool, all of those things. I remember when I got my first car. It was, my, it was a hand-me-down for my sister. It was a 1986 Buick Century. My parents laugh because they know exactly where I'm going with this. It was poop brown color. And I, I say it, it was spray-painted brown. The older lady that we bought it from had taken brown spray paint and, and had painted the car. It was ugly. But you know what? She did try. She tried to make it look really nice. You know what, though? I was so proud of that car. Because I, I was 16 and I had a car. I remember the first week that I had it, I, I had my license. I had to drive to basketball practice. Hey, see you later, Mom and Dad. I grabbed my keys. I'm like, oh, this is sweet. The steering was so loose. I mean, you could do this and the car wouldn't move. It was so, so bad. But I was so proud of it because it was mine. I wanted to show it off. I didn't care if my friends laughed at me because it was brown colored. I was just so thankful. I, it was cool. It was a gift for my parents. Now, that car lasted about a month later, and then something went wrong with it, and I had to get another car. But for that month, it was a great car. It all actually made it, a, I, I was in an accident in that car. I drove through my parents' garage door. That's a whole other story in and of itself uh, about perseverance and being able to budget your money when you're 16. Uh, anyways, but I did it. Yep, paid for, ha there's uh, one of the garage doors in my parents' house I paid half for. It's still there. Um, anyways, I was so proud of that. So the Holy Spirit gives us these gifts. He wants us to use them. He wants us to flow in them. He didn't give them to us to just have them sit there. Right? He wants us to use them. And as a church, we need to be okay flowing in them. And unfortunately, for the longest time, the church has said, I don't want to talk about that stuff. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't understand it. I can't logically understand it. It's not meant for us to logically understand. It's supernatural for a reason, right? Lynn Hammond, Pastor Lynn Hammond at Living Word said this, It's so marvelous of our Lord that He gave, us these gifts to, he gave these gifts to us in these many different manifestations so that believers can demonstrate His power. In other words, these gifts of the Spirit are not for us. They are to be a sign to this world. Right? They are to be a sign. The, the gifts of the Spirit are meant to be a sign to the world. What is going on at that church? All these people that used to be in wheelchairs are walking around. What is going on? I need to be there. I need to be there. That's what it's about. These gifts are not for us to just contain here. They are to go out. They are for us to go out into the world. They are for us to be an example to the world of what God can do and what His power can do. Amen? 
They are not for us to just keep confined in our four walls of our church. Now, don't get me wrong. I hope that in this body we see healings. We see and we get a word of knowledge for somebody. We get a word of wisdom from somebody. We Interpretation, whatever it may be. I pray that within this body we see that. But I also pray that within this body we take that outside of our church in our workplaces, in our communities, that we walk up to our neighbor and we say, oh, you've got a sore back. I want to lay hands on you. I believe that my God is going to heal you. And it's going to happen. And you know what? Now that person's going to say, whoa, I want, what, did, what just happened? I want what you have. E- easiest way to share the gospel, right? Easiest way. It's like a free entrance into the kingdom, right? They're not meant for us. That's right. I want to close with this. Kenneth Hagin said, and I read this, and I read it to Shriek, because I was like, this is so powerful and impactful. He said, as we appropriate the word of God concerning the gifts of the Spirit, there shall come more manifestations of the Spirit of God in greater frequency than in the past. Now, let me read that again. As we appropriate the word of God concerning the gifts of the Spirit, there shall come more manifestations of the Spirit of God in greater frequency than in the past. And there shall be great manifestations of God's power through the gifts of the Spirit. And I want to pay attention to this. In this day and hour in which we live, these gifts of the Holy Spirit are necessary to bring about that which God desires to do in the earth. They are necessary. It's not a and the gifts, they are necessary. They need to be a necessary part of our lives in everything that we do. Everything that we do. They are necessary to bring about what God wants to do in this earth. And anybody who tells you otherwise, tell them to go read 1 Corinthians 12. They're necessary. It's such a vital part of our life as believers to be able to flow in these gifts of the Spirit. Because you never know when you're going to be out and about and the Lord's going to give you a word of knowledge for somebody. Are you going to be obedient and share that? Are you going to be obedient and share that? Are you going to have the courage, the boldness to walk up to a stranger and say, hey, I know this might sound strange. I know you might think this is weird, but I need to share this with you. When I was praying today, the Lord gave me this word for you and I just need to share it with you. That, might, that person might go, thanks, and walk away and be like, that was weird. They might also say, start bawling. I've been praying about that for so long, and here you are. You never know. And if we want to be the body of Christ in the world today, we've got to be okay and comfortable being a little uncomfortable. And I'm preaching that to myself just as much as I'm saying that, right? All of us need to be okay being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Let's be a part of what the Lord is doing in the earth. Let's be a part of that. Let's be a part of that. I know all of us want that. Let's have the boldness to step out in these gifts. Amen? Amen. Amen. Gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to keep going. This is... I feel like I'm gaining momentum. It's, this is fun. Uh, and I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you. I was telling Sheree this. In all of my life, this is one of the first times that I've studied these in depth. And there's so much for us to unpack. 
So much for us to unpack. So much for us to dig into. I could spend weeks on each one of these. So I would encourage you, if you're like, wow, that was great, dig into it, dive into it more. Study it yourself. There's so many good resources. This book, it's by James Tan. It's called Releasing the Miraculous. James Tan is a a pastor evangelist. He's come to Living Word several times. It's all about the gifts of the Spirit. And it is, uh, it's impactful. Um, Becca gave me this book uh, not too long ago. But I'm just going to read a few other things before we take communion that he had just wrote in here that I think are, are really great. The gift of faith is a set, specific faith targeted at specific situations. It's not a generic God bless you kind of faith. It is a specific, this is what will happen kind of faith. And he goes on later, he says, it's the undeniable functioning of God in and through us without the involvement of human strength. It's a supernatural impartation of God's own divine faith to a human being. Since this manifestation is a portion of God's faith, it is as unlimited as he is. You could say that the gift of faith is a sudden supernatural ability to believe. That is what the gift of faith is, right? It's for specific situations. 